World of Blaze Inc. brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith Real Talk. I'm your host, the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com. I'm excited for our uh, guest today. I got to meet this guest probably about eight or nine years ago uh, at a men's conference. He probably doesn't remember that, but I do. Um, and then fortunately, uh, a couple of years later, my, my wife and my kids got to meet him down at uh, his previous place of employment, which was at Catholic Answers. Um, my guest, and I'd love to welcome him to the show, is Patrick Coffrin. Hey, Patrick. Hey, John. I think I do remember. <laughs> do you? It, yes, it was the um, the Union of Antarctic Plumbers Association <laughs> Conference in Reykjavik. I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah. Now, no, Oakland? No. Oakland Men's Conference? Yes. It was exactly <sighs> the Oakland okay. Men's Conference. Yeah. Off the hook then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I, you know, I want to kind of get to see you as well. And thank you for um, joining us on the show today. I really wanted to get into um, our discussion right away, just because I know your time is limited and I'm very grateful for uh, you jumping on the show. But really, sure. real quick, if you can give, most people do know, but just for at least my limited viewers, um, your, your background, because you haven't always been the Patrick Coffin of today, as far as it, as, it, as it relates to living out the faith, I imagine, as we're all on a journey. But can you kind of give your journey back into Holy Mother Church or what your background is? Revert, convert, what is it? Sure. Yeah, the Patrick Coffin of yesterday certainly uh, went through colorful stages of uh, being raised, rebelled, and returned to the faith. I, I had a real, a real life, con- uh, I guess, conversion when I was 16 years old. Uh, my father was always Catholic. We went to Mass um, every Sunday, in season and out, so I made all my sacraments as a kid, and uh, it was my father's Catholic faith that started my my life journey, my trajectory. My mother's a convert from the Anglic, uh, excuse me, the United Church of Canada, and so. Um, but it wasn't until my mid-teen years that I went on a, a retreat weekend, and it was the youth equivalent to uh, Curcio. It was called Challenge, mm-hmm. and on that weekend, I still remember it very, very vividly. Um, Jesus went from mythical, probably exists figure of my ch- of you know childhood and, and Bible stories to uh, a person in the room with me who'd given his life for me personally, won a relationship with me, and his father was my father, and he, he they, you know I had a plan for my life, so I went to the local Catholic university to f- understand what theology really is and how I can better uh, share what happened to me to, with other people, and after four years of pretty, looking back, hard-left theology. Several of my professors were ex-priests and ex-nuns. Um, I, uh, it was like the seed fell on rocky ground, and I effectively lost my faith in the divinity of Christ. Mm. So that, that loss of faith can happen. Mm. It can happen. People ha- have got to stop thinking of their faith as anything other than the pearl of great price. So, you know, don't, don't take it for granted. Um, at the end of that, I was kind of wallowing around. I was going from, uh, uh, you know, into relationships that weren't going anywhere. I I was open to marriage, but I I, I was just too messed up internally. I wasn't wasn't ready. But I was clever. And I I heard a homily once later in life after I came back to the church in which the priest said in a homily, uh, the difference between a wise man and a clever man is that the wise man avoids what the clever man can get himself out of. (laughs) (laughs) So I was definitely the clever man. Um... And on my way back, 
mainly from my own sins and my own mistakes, I, I, I really called out to God in a deep and powerful way and very quickly received the grace of faith. And also, these people kept coming across my path. I'd never heard of uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, and all of a sudden someone gives me a, a Muggeridge book, and then it was C.S. Lewis, and then it was Janet Smith, and then it was Dietrich uh, von Hildebrand. Mm. And then I discovered... Of, of someone who's who was represented in my in my imagination, the evil church of the fifties, Fulton J. Sheen, Bishop Sheen, mm-hmm. hadn't read a line of what he wrote, never saw him on television. I was too young to to have memories of him on TV, and I saw a book of his called Life of Christ in my last year of university, and I I opened this book and I thought, oh, this is the evil church of the fifties guy, and I opened the the author cover photo, and I dropped the book. <laughs> This guy looks like me. This is weird. Mm-hmm. It was the younger Monsignor Sheen photo era. So that began a love affair with this great man of God, uh, uh, the Venerable Fulton Sheen. Um, I've devoured, devoured everything I can get my hands on and listened to all his talks multiple times, and uh, I consider him my spiritual father. For a man who died in 1979, who wrote from the mid-20s until his death, then he is, a, I think, a prophet for our times, a media saint, and his writing is so fresh and so wise and clear that uh, it reads to me like it was written last Tuesday. So, mm-hmm. thanks be to the Holy Spirit and the message of Humana Vitae and the legacy and life of Fulton Sheen. Here I am, the uh, the imperfect version of today. <laughs> Praise be to God for that. Um, so let's let's sidebar real quick on the the Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, where mm-hmm. we know in today's world. So we're filming this on the the feast day of Saint Nicholas on the Global Day of Fasting, by the way, so hopefully the, the viewers mm-hmm. who are listening to this are participating in what the Four Exorcists has called us to, especially for what's going on in the church. Um, but can you, can you speak to it? Obviously, uh, you know, making that, that, that statement that he is a spiritual father of yours, and um, you're, you're, you're glued in, you're tied into everything that's going on in Holy Mother Church and in the culture. Um, what's, your, what's your take on the postponement, the delay of the beatification of uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen? Good question. Uh, based on the facts we have so far, there was a concern that Bishop Sheen's name would appear in a New York upcoming Attorney General report in the same way that, oh, I don't know, Donald Wuerl's name appeared over 200 times in the PA Grand Jury report. Mm. Um, and the problem with this concern is that the congregation for the doctrine of the, uh, the congregation for the causes of saints and the investigative team with the diocese of peoria already investigated bishop sheen's handling of certain cases in his time in uh, rochester from 1966 to 1969 when he resigned and sheen is clean john the allegations that he somehow put children uh, in harm's way because of a, a, a you know a predator priest are not true in fact uh, uh uh, Guli, his name is, the priest who was accused, who's since, well, he was guilty, he's since been laicized, mm-hmm. he told investigators, no, she never placed me anywhere. That that never happened. It was his successor, Bishop Hogan. So, these these things have been vetted, investigated, gone through with a, with a fine-tooth comb over and over again. He was already determined to be venerable by John, uh, Pope Benedict XVI in 2012. And when Pope Francis announced that he's a candidate for beatification, that is a certification that not only uh, is, are, are his virtues heroic and can be imitated by people around the world, but his 
miraculous intercession in the, in the raising of the dead, mm-hmm. that's the miracle that's going to make him Blessed Fulton Sheen, mm-hmm. young James Fulton Engstrom. I, I've interviewed his mother, Bonnie Engstrom. It's an incredible story. A baby dead, uh, born deceased, unfortunately, stayed dead for 61 minutes until his heart began to beat and his skin turned pink and no brain damage. It's truly outstanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know... There are dozens of people still living who knew Bishop Sheen very well in Rochester, in Rochester and New York and Peoria. Uh, his, his niece is still living, Joan Cunningham. And so we're talking about a man whose life was lived in a fishbowl. He was a household name because of his TV show, Life is Worth Living. And then when he was kind of uh, redirected, shall we say, charitably from New York to, to uh, Rochester, he lived a life of uh, pretty consistent scrutiny. So, I, I think the, the concern is misplaced, and I'm frankly relieved, John, that it was postponed, because I didn't think it was fair that the Diocese of Peoria, which did all the heavy lifting for this cause, that opened the cause, that have done all the investigations. He was a hometown boy. He was born in El Paso, Illinois. He was ordained and had his first call to the priesthood in Peoria. His body should have been there for years. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, for them to receive five weeks' notice from Rome to celebrate a beatification, I thought that was a snub. So, I'm actually happy that that's, that that's off uh, for now. Uh, the future is a big question mark. I think Bishop Sheen is the kind of prelate that many uh, cardinals and perhaps even Pope Francis himself uh, want to distance themselves from. His very dynamic, traditional-minded Orthodoxy is something that we don't hear a lot. Mm-hmm. And Bishop Sheen railed against things like communism and abortion with no ambiguity his entire career. He was very strong on that. In fact, you can, you, to me, Bishop Sheen is more black and white in his faith compared to the weaponized ambiguity that's, uh, that's floating around. So I, I think they see him as a bit of a, an embarrassing dinosaur on some level. Mm. Yet he's uh, touched the lives of so many, um, especially if you think about the, uh, the resurgence of... of those that are in the ground, you know, the Maccabean revolt, if you will, that's occurring within the, uh, the yeah. trenches of the church, um, I, myself included, because I, I consider him also a spiritual father, just somebody that we can um, focus on uh, as imitating the life, especially given these times and ages today where, you know, we're, we're experiencing the father wound, um, not just as a culture and society, but definitely as a church. Um, mm-hmm. um, definitely where we, uh, you know, it's like sheep without shepherds uh, to a large degree. Yeah, the church is in the world, you know, we're part of this fallen world, although the church is pure and holy because she's the spotless bride of Christ, but mm-hmm. priests, you know, priests don't come from the planet Zorkon, they come from families, and many families are dysfunctional, so yeah, you're going to get this crisis of fatherhood uh, bleeding into the church, so to speak, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, let's let's um, talk a little bit about um, the the state of the church, and I know you've, you've got your own... Uh, your own media platform. You've been on a ton of different shows, whether it be on Taylor Marshall's show, um, uh, you know, speaking with uh, Michael Voris, whomever it may be. Um, talk about your perspective on the church today, because especially if I think back even to your time at Catholic Answers Live, right, as a host, mm-hmm. and you think about, um, and it was still, uh, you were still there during uh, the, pont- the early days of the pontificate of Pope Francis. Um, 
you know, what, what have we seen transpire over the course of this, especially for the faithful today, Patrick, where we, there's a lot of confusion, there's ambiguity, there's division. I mean, just in the church alone, more or less in the culture, but in our, in our country. <clears throat> so you mm-hmm. see a lot of people really um, anxious, uh, stressed out, uh, confused, unaware of how to even, who to believe, what to believe now. Um, we can even see uh, Catholic personalities that are out there that at once, at least used to be, you know, shoulder to shoulder, and I guess in the fight, or um, at least perspective on the outside looking in, that are now at each other, whether it be on Twitter or, you know, Facebook or whatever it may be. What can you speak to from your perspective, your experience, your analysis of what we've seen transpire in the course of of this pontificate and also the state of the church? I detect 14 different questions there, John. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm not as a good uh, of an interviewer as you are. No, it's all, it's all good content. Let me, let me take, a, take a whack at it this way. Since March 2013, and really getting progressively worse or, or progressively less clear in the reception and the teaching of the faith from, uh, from Pope Francis, one of the effects of that on the ground has been a tribalization of the church and the at least in the United States, there's a, there's a, camps have built up, and those camps have ossified, and, and oftentimes ossified against each other. So now you have, it reminds me of St. Paul's uh, chiding the church uh, in one of his letters, I forget which, one, forget which one, where he says, you know, am I, am I for Paulos, am I for Peter, am I for Paul? He's saying, we can't have factions. There are no clans in the church. There's no point in talking about gathering the clans. There's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the bride. It's not a collection of, of loose Mel Gibson, you know, Braveheart clans trying to fight some other power. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the enemy is the devil. And the captain of the general of the army, if you will, is Jesus Christ. And by the way, that victory has already been won. Mm-hmm. The, the score forever is Jesus won, Satan zero. What we're doing is is a mop-up mission of all the little fires once the main fire is out. And I think it's a function of the leadership of, of Pope Francis to to factionalize people and turn them against each other. Um, I, I don't know anyone in my circle of friends, John, small as it is, who is even dreaming remotely of, of desiring schism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anyone who wants it. It's a, Schism is a terrible failure. It's like... Uh, you know, a war within the church. Mm-hmm. It's not God's will that his church be divided. What I encourage people to do is learn the deposit of faith. Check out the Roman Catechism from the Council of Trent. Read the Church Fathers. At least read the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. which is a good start. But even that now has an asterisk, asterisk next to it because Pope Francis has stated his desire to change the teaching, which is biblical and 2,000 years old, of the death penalty now suddenly being uh, uh, inadmissible in all cases. So that's a point of confusion. But I, I rely on the fact that Jesus promised his Holy Spirit to be with the church until the end of the age, until he comes back. And he's not back yet. I wish he would come back soon. I'm not doing anything on Tuesday. Tuesday would be good for me. <laughs> but... Um, the deposit of faith given to us by Christ and the apostles transcends any particular papacy. Mm-hmm. And that's really a big part of my mission is to teach people the deposit of faith, which it also transcends the Second Vatican Council. Remember, there were 21 councils before that. Um, most people are, are completely unaware of what those councils taught and why. So, mm-hmm. a lot of work to do. Yeah. So, let's, okay, let's talk about that because I, I was very familiar and a big fan of um, 
your role and work at Catholic Answers and the host of Catholic Thanks. Answers Live. Um, it's actually been pretty transformative in a lot of people's lives as far as, um, you know, folks that were either lukewarm Catholics coming back to the faith, maybe foreign to Catholicism, maybe adverse mm -hmm. to Catholicism. That show, your role as host, um, you're still my favorite host, by the way. Um, oh, well, thanks be to God. <laughs> um, Except for your taste in host, you're a good guy. Yeah, outside of that, right? Yeah, it's purgatory on earth, Patrick. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what What led you to where you are today, leaving that? I, I was pretty shocked. And I was like, man, Patrick's leaving that the, the show. Um, there's a lot of transition going on, especially with radio stations in general. But mm -hmm. can you talk about that just for uh, the listeners out there of that transition? No. from? Okay, awesome. No. Good. No, I will. All right, let kidding. me just, okay, all right. I just, I just like embracing the awkward. Uh, <laughs> people have asked me about this. Uh, Pope Francis had nothing whatsoever to do with my leaving Catholic Answers. Uh, I learned more in my first month toasting that show than I would have if I had done five years of radio school. Uh, Catholic Answers Live gave me uh, the chance to learn live broadcast chops. It really forced me to, to up my game in the, in the realm of communicating and learning apologetics. I was... Actually, I was one of 10 people who were in the running. I did not think I had any chance of being hired. I had no live broadcast experience. I'd never hosted a show. And ironically, I'd never heard the show before my first audition in 2008, December 2008, mm -hmm. coming up on nine years now. I was never allowed in uh, the, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles where I was because Cardinal Mahoney had this big spat with Mother Angelica, blah, blah, blah. So mm. I went in there just like a little innocent lamb in the forest. I didn't even know what questions to ask. And uh, a lot went wrong in my first hour of that first audition. And I just, once the on-air light came on, John, I just felt, I felt like I was in the saddle. I was happy and made for it. And, and that, that feeling never left me. What I wanted to do over time, once I realized that I could answer the question, where's purgatory in the Bible from 10,000 different angles, uh, is that I wanted to pick my own guests and talk about things that are trending. And the scheduling MO of Catholic Answers Live is, you know, it's set a month or two in advance, which for good reasons. That's, that's their sweet spot mission. Mm -hmm. But over time, I realized I'd kind of reached a creative ceiling, and I didn't even know what that would look like. But I did a Indiegogo campaign, and... Um, built a runway where I could support my family. Kind of a crazy move, if, if you think of it, mm -hmm. leaving a steady paycheck. But it felt like I was, I was riding the wave of God's will, and um, I've been on the show since. I'm, I'm still in touch with some of those characters. So uh, it, was, it was a good fit then, and, so, and I think it's a better fit now. So what does is, what is the discernment process look like for something like that? Because I you know, speak to, as somebody who's also on the, on the speaker circuit, you know, dealing with people like Deacon Harold Burke Service, for instance, right, mm -hmm. where people have left full-time jobs, people have left yeah. steady pay income. What, is that, what did that discernment process look like for you and your family? Counterintuitive, because you're not supposed to do that. You're, <laughs> unless you get the Golden Boot Award, you're really not supposed to uh, branch out and do something uh, too adventurous. Mm -hmm. uh, one book that got me rolling on this way of thinking outside the box, John, is by, he's a Protestant humorist. His name's John Acuff, A-C-U-F-F. -F, John, just J-O-N. And the book is called Start. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, start, I began a, a Catholic men's group seven years ago or so called Holy Smokes. So we, we meet monthly. We, uh, those of us who enjoy whiskey, sip whiskey, smoke cigars, and talk about theology and dadhood. And that was one of the books that we drilled into, Start by John Acuff. And the subtitle is, I want to get this right, uh, punch fear in the face, escape average, do work that matters. Hmm. 
And that was a really inspiring book. I, I learned a ton. It, it got me thinking about my own life situation. And you can't press pause in your life. You only have one shot at what God has put before you. Mm-hmm. And I realized there was something else I needed to be doing. I needed to be uh, out more on the front lines in as far as going upstream from apologetics. It's still my first love. I, I you know, by God's grace, I still love it. I find my myself uh, in positions where I'm, you know, I'm exercising my apologetics muscle. But I wanted to talk about the formation of our culture and what happened to culture since the '60s. And this is something that seems to have hit a nerve. When my wife and I launched Coffin Nation over a year ago, we didn't expect to be in 25 countries, and everybody's thinking the same thing. What happened to the West? What happened to the the bedrock presuppositions about what it means to be living in a Christian country? Now, America still, in her DNA, is Catholic. It's still a functioning Christian country. Mm-hmm. But this, this bizarre jettisoning or quarantining of Christian things from the public square is not a sign of health. And so, that's really the sweet spot of what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, I'll, I'm not going to poo-poo it. It was, it was a scary thing to walk away. Mm-hmm. But it also had the, the whiff of divine providence. It's the only way I can put it. Um, thanks be to God, I have a very supportive wife who was with me every step. And, and um, there were quickly signs of, of confirmation that I was on the right path and doing the right thing. And I would never have been able to interview people like Milo Yiannopoulos, Jordan B. Peterson, uh, Gavin McInnes, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to anyone who's rowing in the same basic direction to find out, you know, what's, what's the first principles at stake here? What are points of commonality? What, what things can we agree on? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, there's a wonderful quote from my mentor and friend Peter Kraft, who said, uh, you'll love this, feuding brothers reconcile when a maniac is at the door. <laughs> Indeed. And Dr. Yeah. Peter Kraft, you just had on your show recently, too, as well, so... Um, so, you you did? No, you did. You oh no, never. I've never not on my show. Oh, it's Dr. Ralph Martin. Yeah, Ralph Martin. Yeah, oh, yes, Dr. yeah. Doctor Kraft is is hilariously charming and a complete luddite. He is deeply <laughs> allergic to Skype, so I've begged and borrowed and stolen. No, no, negative. But huh? uh, we're we're still in touch. He wrote the forward to my first book, which is now called uh, the Contraception Deception. So uh, I, I love sex uh, on I love Peter. That's the first version from 2010. Yeah. I, I did an sorry an expanded um, revised version in light of the HHS mandate and some new reproductive technologies and so on. And plus, Sex on Natural is not a good title. It's it's too clever by half. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, so my apologies. I I didn't mean to spread fake news. It was Dr. Ralph I'm, Martin. I'm a Christian. I forgive you. Yeah, thank yeah you. <laughs> Ralph Martin on on the population of hell. Yeah. Yes, hell is real, and people go there. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. So, all right, let's talk about Coffin Nation. Let's talk about um, the media platform. Let's talk about um, what you've been able to, obviously, being that it's God's divine will, been able to build up. Now you've transitioned from Catholic Answers Live into what you felt was God's calling. So what is Coffin, Coffin Nation for those that are out there listening? Coffin Nation is an international platform that facilitates personal growth and tools for intentional discipleship. There are three levels of engagement. You get the video iteration of the podcast. You get access to uh, weekly live webinars called Ask Away Thursdays. And the people chime in and we talk about things that arose arose on the show. And also 
things that uh, came up in my, they're called Transform You. Transform You is a, is a deep dive I do with an influencer every month. Uh, Jordan Peterson was one. Uh, David Allen was another who wrote a book that changed my life called, here's a good title for you, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and uh, there's a closed Facebook group and a forum, and we can all finish each other's sentences. It's a wonderful thing to behold, to learn that Catholics in Ghana in Saudi Arabia, now in Ireland, Scotland, Japan, Guam, every time zone in Australia, are all thinking the same things and realizing, thanks to this way of interconnecting through coffination, they don't have to live like they're in a silo. Mm -hmm. They can kind of pop their head up and see, oh my gosh, we're, we're all trying to keep our kids in the faith. We're all trying to make our marriages better. We're all trying to get off porn 100%. We're all trying to understand what happened to the culture in the last 50 years. And, you know, we're not supposed to do it alone. Jesus never sent the apostles out, uh, you know, singular. It was always minimum two by two mm -hmm. for good reason. So, coffination.com is the website, and we, uh, we just opened the doors again in, on, on December 1st. So how, so, how long is it open for, Patrick? The, uh, the uh, TBA. We're just going to okay. keep it open for now and see how that works. We had done the open door, closed door model, mm -hmm. but that began to distract from my desire to give my members the wow factor and to cut out uh, time-wasting filler. So everything is uh, everything's very deliberate, and I listen carefully to what they want. It's easy for me to bloviate about what I think they want, but when people are asked, they, they tell you exactly. So um, I do the Coffin Report every Thursday, which is my take on, on the news inside and out of the church that you're not going to find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I'm basically doing what I think the establishment Catholic media should do, and that is just let your hair down and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Don't domesticate things that sound crazy. Trust your instincts. If it sounds crazy to you and you're a sacramental, you know, living the life of grace, it probably is crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you just say that, boldness is kind of contagious, as I, I know you know, John. Mm -hmm. And people are looking for examples of, of people who are just not, they're just not afraid. The time for fear is over. The gloves are off. The battle is real. And the true enemy is Satan. And if you don't even know that, you're probably on the wrong side already. Mm -hmm. So, so let's real quick. You, you said Guam's part of that. Yes, Guam. We have a member. We have a member in Guam. Okay, you Guamanian. I am from the island of Guam. So oh wow! Let's let's fix that island because they're typically liberals that are just off. You know, started off a a pagan culture. Um, you yeah. know, thanks thanks be to God that the Catholic faith came over, or else you know uh, I'd be in a different spot right now. But mm -hmm. the um, just the the, as Jesse Romero would say, low information Catholics over there in Guam. Yep. So I'm glad to hear that Guam is one of the countries that are listening to you, Patrick, that'll get um, yep. educated, informed, and uh, learn how to live out the faith. Um, yeah, I, di I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, Guam's kind of like a smaller version of Malta in the South Pacific. <laughs> Formerly Catholic, now eh, not so much. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty sad. That's just the uh, the state of it. But I think it's not the only. Obviously, the only country. Um, so let's. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talked about being bold and, and, and speaking to the issues at hand, the gloves are off, right? And there's a lot of people out there that would say that, you know, there's this, those, that, those of us that are speaking the truth and aren't afraid to speak the truth, um, regardless of where you are, whether it's in the street, on YouTube, wherever you are, um, mm -hmm. that around the water cooler, around the water cooler, uh, calling a spade a spade, that somehow that's divisive. 
Um, I, and I remember having in my interview with Michael Voris, we talked about that because, you know, a lot of people will have their opinion about Michael Voris and about church militant. And whenever mm-hmm. I have that conversation, I'll say, well, where is he wrong? Where are they wrong? Right. And, and Michael had made a statement about how, uh, you know, they, they try to they say that it's the, the delivery, but it's more the message that they have a problem with. So while you can argue whether or not somebody is as tactful or as diplomatic as one may expect or want, what's what about the message? Right? Mm-hmm. So what do you say to those that may say, uh, you know, Patrick Coffin is one of those guys who's now you're speaking against, um, you know, the established me- uh, establishment when it comes to media, the hierarchy, whatever it is. Anybody at Father James Martin, I mean, we can just mm-hmm. we have our slew out there. What do you say to those folks who may say? those that are bold are actually the ones causing the division within the church? Good question. My answer is to quote an openly homosexual British historian writer named Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray is a very sharp individual who's a kind of a student of history and especially the slow death. I think his latest book is called The Strange Death of Europe, something like that. And he's uh, kind of a canary in the coal mine with respect to the open border attitude uh, that is now coming back to, the, the chickens are coming home to roost in England with uh, several towns being taken over by, by angry groups of Muslims who do not want to assimilate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when uh, Lee Rigby, a British soldier who was decapitated in broad daylight about seven years ago or so by two Moroccan youths, wherever they were from, they always use a the euphemism, they won't name the religion nor the motivation for the murders, mm-hmm. Uh, they were yelling Allahu Akbar when they decapitated him on the sidewalk. I mean, the video is just horrifying. So when someone like Douglas would report on this, then the press would quickly rally around uh, the perpetrators and attack Douglas Murray. He's divisive. He's Islamophobic. Why, why are you causing division? When all he's doing is reporting, he's pointing. You see that? This really happened. So import that into the church. If you say that corrupt prelate A actually is guilty of corrupt action B, then all of a sudden you're divisive when you're simply highlighting the truth about what really happened. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a deflection uh, mechanism to just deny and to keep your head deep in the comfortable hole in the sand. Um, I don't buy it. Now, there's there's such a thing as bomb throwing. You can be deliberately clickbaity in the way you write and speak, and I, I don't believe in that. I don't think you need to. I think things are outrageous enough without having to add hyperbole in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was divisive. Mm-hmm. He made claims about himself that were offensive and that ended up getting him killed. So there's a precedent for divi- divisiveness in speech. Um, if you, if all you read is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you would not recommend uh, calling people blind guides and broods of vipers and whitewashed sepulchers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems, that's kind of mean and unchristian <laughs> from the mouth of Christ himself. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I think that's part of the challenge today. And, and um, you know, I, to, so what you said just a little bit earlier, you're talking about how uh, boldness is contagious, right? And I think it's mm-hmm. attractive. Holiness is attractive, right? I mean, and yep. I think that's that's part of the message even to the viewers out there, if you would agree or not, um, that, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, but you started off with, hey, Jesus won, Satan zero, and that's for eternity. And what what other um, 
encouragement can you give some of the listeners out there with regards to everything that's going on in the church? You know, you talked about, you know, the deposit of faith. You talked about, you know, reading the early church fathers. You talked about, you know, know your faith, right? Because that's going to, that, regardless of any pope, um, the deposit of faith is truth. It's handed on down from Christ himself, so, and through the church. Um, so what, what other advice can you give to the listeners out there about fighting this good fight because the, the gloves are off and lines mm-hmm. are drawn in the sand um and i think there's some people that lack that courage and fortitude because of a lot of different reasons depending on their state of life and um be- state of confusion uh for a lot of folks but what what can you offer to them patrick well john m- one of my favorite phrases is small is huge small is huge you can't solve the macro crisis of the church or the culture crisis. It's too enormous. Mm-hmm. If all you do is read, you know, bad news articles and, and horror show stories and, and crime and corruption, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose your happy spirit. You're not gonna be in a in a mindset to even want to get in the battle because it just feels like a tsunami after a tsunami of badness and uh, you know, darkness and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. By small is huge, I mean while you can't change the culture, the person you see in the mirror is the culture. We're the culture. The culture is the collective whole of what individuals believe. Mm -hmm. The Latin word cultus means to till or cultivate, but it also means worship. So, if you collectively worship the, uh, you know, Allah of the Quran, poof, pay attention to the culture that you built. If you believe in uh, the Father of Jesus Christ, voila, you have Western civilization. So, culture is intimately tied to religion. And if you can transform yourself and be a better husband, a better wife, a better father or mother, that that restoration has a ripple effect. People in your parish will notice, people in your extended families will notice. And, you know, St. Peter never says in 1 Corinthians, uh, Peter 3.15 to argue about faith, ever, or even bring it up. What does he say? Always have a ready reason for those who ask you of the hope that's in you. In other words, be in a state of readiness. Mm-hmm. Just be ready. Now, if someone asks you a question, well, that's great. That's an open door. Then you can share what Christ has done in your life. So, I liken, I liken evangelization to offense and apologetics to defense. Mm-hmm. We need both, but, but I think we have to find a way to do it without being annoyingly Catholic. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think where people struggle with how do they get the, um, you know, I think it's just because we've been poorly catechized for 60 years now where there hasn't been really a handing on of any kind of faith. And if it is, it's watered down and dumbed down. And, um, and I was part of that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, a product of that upbringing wasn't really um, given any faith at all. And so mm-hmm. having, to, having to play catch up, I think probably a lot of people fear that, right? Well, how do I do that? And overwhelmed by a lot of information. Yeah. Well, you have to read. And um, I'm talking to men now. A lot of men think that, well, faith is, it's a soft affair for, for women. I'll just leave it to my wife. No, 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 no. The father's involvement in the faith formation of the child is far more salutary and lasting than the mother's. There's a study from the Swiss government of all places that studied the long-range or, or long-term effects of a child who has a religious experience and brings the message home, then the mother who has the same thing, then the father. And it jumps from like single digits to 50% to over 90% when the father comes to a new relationship with Christ and brings his uh, enthusiasm home. 
uh, Dr. Paul Vitz, who has been on my show, a former atheist, wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. Mm -hmm. And it's a really fascinating history. It would be a good guest for you. Mm -hmm. um, he does a history of the top atheist mentors in modern times, from the late Chris Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Richard Dawkins, Sigmund Freud, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Bertrand Russell, and he finds they all have one thing in common, an abusive or an absent father. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus Christ calls God our father, and our father was a, you know, abusive blankety-blank, how can you warm up to God himself? Mm -hmm. It's a deficit. Mm -hmm. And uh, our Lord knows what the father wound means, not because he had one himself with St. Joseph or his heavenly father, but he took on our wounds. By his wounds, we are healed. That also means the father wound. Mm -hmm. Jesus knows what it's like to be abused by men, namely the Sanhedrin, the men who betrayed him by Judas. And so it's his sacred wounds that give him the right to enter into our father wound and heal it. Um, otherwise, we're just going to be, we're just going to be lost. We're going to live our life with no GPS. And so you have to read. It's, there has to be an indispensable minimum amount of reading. That luckily, with the internet, you can do lots of you know targeted keyword searches. I have a a two CD set called "Getting Started in Apologetics: The Least You Need to Know to Explain Your Faith," which people find helpful. Uh, the second part uh, of that set is the Sweet Sixteen. These are books you really have to have uh, under your under your belt. You don't have to memorize them. You do not have to be a good uh, you know memorizer of things. But if you love it, you will, you will, it'll stick. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I marvel at friends of mine who can tell me baseball stats from the 50s. Like, I don't care. <laughs> but they're all into it, you know. They're, they're all chips in, and they, they know minutia and, and uh, batting averages and so on. So why, why, aren't, why is their faith level stuck in the sixth grade level on the things that really matter versus the enormous uh, understanding of things that in the end don't matter because they're just games? See, and that's exactly right, because I think part of what people do is try to, ex you know, start to make those excuses out where even I was recently talking to a group of men as, and, and one of the guys was like, can we get something, you know, talking about increasing your prayer life as men, as fathers, as husbands. And it was like, yeah. you know, we need to get something down to 10 minutes. I'm like, why? Why is it 10 minutes? Right. To your point, Patrick, where we could, and I used to be one of those guys. I could tell you not just who the first string team players were. I can tell you the second string, the third string. I can tell you who was the team physician. I can tell you who the coach was, the wide receiver coach, the, you know, the running back coach, all of that. Couldn't tell you jack about my faith. Couldn't tell you why, yeah. why we believe. And so, you know, the, these excuses that we hear people say like, oh, you know, reading's not for me, or I'm just not into that type of, it's, you, you're not, you don't care. You know, it's not a value to you. Maybe it's an ideal, but, uh, you know, the difference between a value and ideal is you're going to make time for something you value. An ideal yep. is like, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a nice thing. I th yeah, I think you yeah. should do that. And nice, nice to do versus have to do. Exactly. And, exa and I think that's the other thing for, um, definitely for on the, on the men's side, is, you know, we got to get over those excuses that we continuously make because you will spend four hours playing 18 rounds of golf. You will spend all day Saturday watching college football, all day Sunday watching NFL football, but you won't spend any time reading sacred scripture. You won't any yep. spend any time learning or growing your faith and then passing that on down. So that's, uh, you know, that's obviously a, a, a huge point for me to make and something I'm passionate yep. about. It's true. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I have a, I have an odd memory. 
uh, for, for instance, I can tell you the key grip, the stunt coordinator, the director of photography, and uh, the assistant second unit director for for the Iceland shoot. But I won't remember that I watched that movie with my wife. Right? <laughs> so it's you know kind of hit or miss. But people, you're right. People tend to they they invest their time. Forget money. They invest their time on their highest values. Mm-hmm. So if you say you love God, but you won't do the indispensable minimum beyond one hour of mass at Sunday. Really? Mm-hmm. The proof's in the pudding. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, uh, along those notes, because we talked about, um, you, you called out the men. I'm kind of calling out the men as well. I do that often. Um, but this this idea of masculinity versus femininity, right? We know this, mm-hmm. this whole uh, feminism, and obviously we don't have enough time to go into any of that. But, um, you know, what do you have to say about, you know, we've been emasculated. Isn't it? What's your thoughts on, on masculinity and uh, whether it be in general or Catholic masculinity with the state of that today? And what, what advice can you give to the listeners on that? Oh, that's a tall order. I know. When did, the, when did masculinity begin to die? There's several ways to chart the beginning of the current confusion, I believe. Uh, let me, maybe August 1930 was the first domino. Now, what are you talking about, Patrick? Outside London, there's a place called the Lambeth Palace, and every 10 years, the Anglican bishops still do. They meet there, and they discuss doctrinal stuff. And in that 1930 August meeting, for the first time in Christian history, they accepted contraception, only in marriage, of course, only for the most extreme circumstances, of course. They would be morally permissible to uh, undermine the act that God has ordained to produce new human beings. Within 10 or 15 years, all of old-line, mainline Protestantism had caved, and today the Catholic Church alone stands for the principle that each and every marital act must be open to new life. When the pill was given FDA approval in 1950, it was called Enovid. It was basically a dangerous chemical cocktail. Um, A lot of women suffered. Some died through the uh, clinical trials. And um, the push inside the church began to catch up with the push outside the church to change the teaching of the Catholic Church with respect to birth control. And in 1968, finally, uh, now St. Paul VI published Humana Vitae, a 31-paragraph document, John. Mm-hmm. You can draw a bath, get this get this sucker red before you turn pruny in the bathtub, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry for the image. Mm-hmm. But you... <laughs> You you need to you need to kind of let it let it out of its cage to understand how simple the teaching is. So how am I tying this to the death of masculinity? Well, contraception allowed men to use women as masturbation tools. And when men are given a choice, they'll almost always choose the lazy way, the self-centered way, the way that promotes their own lust, mm-hmm. whether it's pornography, whether it's fornication, uh, promiscuity, what what have you. With the infiltration of contraception throughout the culture, including the church, men began to see women differently. They began to see them as tools, as Paul VI predicted in number 14 of Humana Vitae. He made some predictions, and they've all, they've all come true. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if you're going to separate babies from marital love, then there's no way that you can argue against other sexual perversions. Is that a Catholic dogma? Well, it's not just a Catholic thing, because none other than... Sigmund Freud, in 1921, said that it's the mark of sexual perversion when sexual uh, expression or sexual union sets aside reproduction as an aim. 
That's the mark of sexual perversion, said Freud, who was an anti-Catholic, you know, atheist. Mm -hmm. Then you have Mahatma Gandhi, who was a Hindu, who was virulently against birth control. You have Raquel Welch, four times married, has pinpointed the, the pill as the big game changer, the big destroyer of, of culture and the relationship between men and women. So, this is not just a Catholic thing. I could go on and on about non-Catholic sources of this. Mm -hmm. But eventually, because the logic of contraception is inexorable, you're going to have to have a safety net called abortion. Mm -hmm. And that only came seven years after 1973 with Roe v. Wade, after Humana Vitae. And then you're going to have to have other changes to accommodate that. So... Fast forward to 2015, we have the Obergefell versus Hodges decision in which, you know, a couple of unelected black-robed attorneys called the Supreme Court decreed through uh, legal fiat that uh, so-called gay marriage is a real thing. Now, the radicals have already taken that frontier, so they're, al they're already on to the next frontier, which is transgender mania. And this is something really mind-blowing, and I think this is... I'm not talking about people now. I'm talking about the phenomena. I believe this phenomenon of transmania has uh, demonic assistance mm -hmm. because about 0.6% of the population are afflicted with gender dysphoria. So about half of 1%. Mm -hmm. But you can't turn the TV on. You can't walk around and be a, a secular media consumer without having this thing thrown in your face with drag kids, reading hour, and so on. And I think... All of this confusion stems from a confusion about who we are. Are we our own masters? Are we the dominators of our own nature? Is our own nature, our own body, just a blank slate we can write upon? We can, we can lop body parts off, we can add them on, we can pump ourselves full of all kinds of chemicals. Or are we children? Are we sons and daughters? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's been the, the record of 5,000 years of human history that there are only two genders. And they're more properly called sexes, male and female, mm -hmm. not the 71 of Facebook. And I think, I think the fact that we've allowed the contraceptive mentality to seep into our marriages, into our culture, has led to this confusion about what a man is versus what a woman is. Mm -hmm. That was a long-winded answer. But no, I think is. people have to understand that because I don't think people even connect those dots. I don't think they realize, you know, how this all started and how we you know, have allowed this to, to infiltrate the culture and therefore the family um, and what it's done to the family, right? Where we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've created monsters and men who objectify our women um, yeah. because we've allowed them to, like everything you just described. So, no, I appreciate it. I, I think it's, it's a nail on the head. So, Patrick, um, uh, you know, I appreciate you kind of uh, allowing me just to kind of popcorn you with a bunch of different questions because it's been really great to have a, um, a resource like you. To, to be able to well, just, thanks, John. To be able to, I, I appreciate the yeah, just the, be able to talk uh, invite. Through, yeah, just mm -hmm. different things to be able to talk about. So let's go back to coffin coffin nation, um, just for a little bit, uh, just to be able to, to again circle back on that because I think that's a valuable tool and resource for a lot of the listeners out there that um, have already taken advantage of it. But um, last parting words on coffin nation and how to find you and um, the things that they can uh, expect from mm -hmm. Patrick Coffin and Coffin Nation in 2020. Super easy to remember. I went with something kind of bizarre, coffinnation.com. <laughs> you can uh, watch the trailer. I'm going to be shooting a new, a new trailer um, probably in the spring. Um, you'll, you'll know right away. Just, just read the intro of what it's about. And you'll, if you find that you're, you're able to finish the sentences of what I'm describing mm -hmm. uh, or not, um, you'll know. I don't do any hard selling of this. This is something that once you hear the concept of connecting 
through community and growing in confidence, you're drawn to it or you're not drawn to it. And I, I don't, I don't have a filter on what I do. I don't have a big on switch, you know, on the air, off the air. I'm pretty much, I'm probably a nicer version of myself on the air, (laughs) but, um, people are hungry for understanding. They want to be, they want to hear their, have their voice heard. They want someone to say, I know exactly what that's like. Let me you know, let me uh, guide you to this resource. And it's music to my ears when I see members. We, we affectionately call each other nationistas. <laughs> when one nationista throws, uh, you know, a life preserver or offers an encouragement or a book or a movie or whatever, I realize this is why we started this, so that this tribe can grow into a, um, a community that's not, it's not a, a faction, it's not political. In fact, we're apolitical. There are people from all you know, all political stripes in different countries. So this is not about Democrat versus Republican, Trump versus Hillary or Biden or whatever. Uh, We talk about those things, but we're upstream. We want to go to the source. Mm -hmm. We want to repair the DNA damage. And you can't do that in the macro because the synonym for macro is micro. So we start with the person in the mirror. So thanks for asking. By the way, you said popcorn. Every time I hear the word popcorn, I think of a quote from from our spiritual father, Bishop Sheen. He described hearing the confessions of nuns as being stoned to death by popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. That's great. Well, hey, Patrick, I just want to commend you for all that you've done for Holy Mother Church, what you've been doing for um, all of the faithful out there. Um, I'm a big fan. And, Thanks, uh, John. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, from, from the Saban family to you, we're very grateful for you and all that you and your wife and family sacrificed to, uh, to bring us the truth. And, um, you know, you'll continue to be in our prayers. Uh, and may God continue to bless you and uh, your postulate and, and your family. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. My wife certainly needs your prayers. Yeah, she, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wait, oh. wait a second. <laughs> uh, I'd love to go back to Star of the Sea. Yeah. Um, and do it do a mission one night uh, i had a, a great time there so many great people in unlikely places doing amazing things we just need to you know have eyes to see amen to that so. that's a great yeah i did a great job and i think that was very uh a lot of hope for uh for those who were able to participate in that um the event with with patrick when he was out at star of the sea parish in san francisco um which is a beacon of light in the belly of the beast um, preach it <laughs> for sure but hey brother i look forward to i know we're going to connect at some point in some way some fashion um whether it be at one of our own world ablaze events or uh meeting you on the speaker circuit somewhere but until then brother be a saint what else is there right love it god bless you too happy new year you too true faith real talk don't forget to like and subscribe to the show continue the conversation online visit johnsublon.com until next time get holy or die trying godspeed, godspeed.